First Corinthians 15, um, the Apostle Paul uh, is dealing with a group that rose up in the church that from their Greek philosophy background and Greek wisdom uh, did not believe in a bodily, physical resurrection. Uh, It was mythological to them. And uh, so he takes time to explain uh, in the epistle here, he's giving a defense not only for physical resurrection of all people, but he's tying it especially to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, it's quite interesting. What does resurrection mean when Paul uses it? Let me give you some concepts. Uh, The Bible of the Hellenistic world was Homer, uh, the Greek writer Homer. And then after Homer was Plato. Those were the two mind influencers of Hellenistic Greek world. And uh, Homer said, uh, there is no resurrection. It's mythological. That uh, uh, you just, if you can quote, and you can get these quotes from the epitaphs of that century, uh, of the Greek world, that uh, we die and we are no more. Or we die and we wander around. No concept of a physical resurrection where the body comes out of the grave. Resurrection really means to stand up in the grave in a physical body. The Greeks say, this is mythological. It doesn't happen. It's a phantom. It just doesn't exist. Now, in the Jewish world, uh, they had a prophet named Daniel who said in the final days of history, the end time, said there will be a resurrection and the wicked will be resurrected and so will the righteous The righteous will shine like stars. The wicked will meet judgment. And so they, they, in their uh, view of history, they thought eventually down here it can happen. But for a Jew to think that a man could have come back from a grave and from death in a body and be alive was astounding. No Jew of this period would believe it on on top of the Bible and their life. Not at all. Can't happen. Can't happen. Um, And of course today, you you have spiritualized views. uh, uh, The resurrection of Israel. And and they'll mean spiritual. Spiritual. Like today, our big term, which you hear people, I'm spiritual, whatever that means. You can be controlled by demons and be spiritual. There's a spirit controlling you. And so spiritual is ambiguous. So today when you hear someone say, I'm spiritual, that doesn't, they're not really saying I'm under the spirit, the Holy Spirit's control. That means I'm just, I'm just getting in contact with the God in, in me. And, and as I meditate, I feel God within. And I, matter of fact, I am a God because I've been resurrected. And, and it's used that very new age uh, teaching, very common. Very common. The Christian view that we want to look at uh, is a the most radical thing. It's the only way we can understand that Christianity has lasted for two thousand years. Something so radically happened that if Christ had only died a criminal's death. How could you get anyone to follow somebody that gets nailed to a cross? Uh, It'd be the last thing I'd want to follow. That's where you wind up. Matter of fact, around this time in the New Testament, there were many messiahs, many uh, from the Maccabean period, which was 400 years between the Old Testament and the New. Many men uh, arose. I'm the messiah. I'm the messiah. Guess what Rome did? Just killed them and the movement stopped. A good way to end a movement is just to kill the leader. And, and it's, uh, it's uh, taken care of. Now, how is it that we kill Christ uh, and, and in a shameful, shameful death, how in the world 
uh, are men that were devout Jews uh, who didn't buy into a resurrection? How is it that people in the Hellenistic world that had never heard of a bodily resurrection in their life, how did it turn things all around? Well, Paul's going to deal with two things. He's going to give us the historical facts that of just some of it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give you the other story. But he just says, based upon history, based upon history, we know that Christ arose bodily from the grave. That's going to be his first argument. Then he starts about verse 12 through 17, having a philosophical debate. Because you come to this uh, resurrection truth one of two ways. You can come to it as a historian and still be an atheist. We don't care if you're a believer or not. Just is it a historical fact? Does it give you goosebumps? Doesn't matter. Does it give you a good feeling? Doesn't matter. If it's a lie, who cares if you get all sentimental? Factually, is it true? Then philosophically, you can say, I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe a resurrection can happen. And you're free to do that. You know, we have people today that say that the Holocaust didn't take place. Heading the country of Iran. Does that mean it didn't happen? I don't think any of you here have ever seen Abraham Lincoln. Do you believe he existed? You haven't seen him. Well, you got a picture of him. That'd scare you. Uh, I mean, uh, some of you have never seen your great-grandparents, so you're very easily led to believe that you came from apes. You hadn't seen them. Who's back there? The way some of us look, it's easy to believe at times. So, you know, I haven't seen my great-grandfather. So he must, I can invent anything I want to make him look like. You know what I need to do is go into historical documents, birth certificates. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I went and looked up the marriage certificate of my mom and dad where they got married. They got married in a saddle shop in Wagner, Oklahoma. My dad said the hitching worked. And I went there and I said, I want a copy of their marriage certificate. And he said, well, now... They were the, already married, whether they ever got the certificate. But it's sure nice to have a historical document. And so we're going to look at just history a little bit and then consider the uh, uh, philosophical argument. There's four things, historically, that you have to deal with to uh, understand Christianity, to give it a fair hearing. Four things. Number one, we have an empty tomb. Number one, just uh, let's think about that. Empty tomb, second of all, but you see, if you just had an empty tomb, the next question you ought to ask says who? Says who? You preachers can invent anything. Just get them all worked up and say, I say. No, 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 no. Even the Corinthians who were into dreams and visions and revelations, none of them had ever seen a risen Christ, only Paul. So he's going to tell them that there are witnesses who saw it and saw the risen Christ. If you have a fact in history that you say, and there are no witnesses, it's unbelievable. It's speculation. Third thing is transformation of the lives of those who saw it. I mean, people who were utterly against Christ, people who utterly would not buy into Christianity, a hoax. Matter of fact, Paul himself uh, consented to the death of many Christians. He pursued people to death. He was a murderer of Christians. He was there saying, stone Stephen. He hated the church of God. He couldn't believe that God ever saved him because I killed Christians. And now I'm running with the people I used to kill. That's a radical transformation. And fourthly, if we had time, is how do you unexplain a movement 
that continues today with over one billion people on the face of the earth who still claim Christ as their Lord and their Savior when it was baptized in blood from the very beginning that everybody that saw him as apostles was killed and moved off the scene except for John and the movement keeps going when it may cost you your life. What would you give your life for? A lie or something you can't shake? Well, uh, Christ made 12 appearances at different times. And here Paul is saying, let me tell you the gospel I preach. Verse 3, I passed on to you what's of first importance, the fact. Christ died for our sins. Now, you've got to know, uh, there's been many theories that said he didn't really die. It's called the swoon theory, that on the cross, he looked like he died, and then when they put him in the tomb, the cool air of the tomb revived him, because Roman soldiers can't recognize a corpse. When they sent them in there, a crucifixion normally would take two to three days. It was a long death. But when the soldiers came, they saw the other two men who needed their legs broken because they were still going on. They wanted to speed it up because it was a high Passover day. They wanted to get it over with. When they came to Christ, they thrust the spear in his side. No need to break the legs because he was already dead fulfilling what the prophet said in Psalms, that no bone of him would be broken to fulfill the Passover lamb analogy. Nothing broken in his bones, smitten but not broken. And they come and they know he's dead. Joseph of Arimathea risked his life, being a member of the Sanhedrin, comes and says, let me bury him in my burying place. For Isaiah said he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, and he was. And then we read the narratives that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, accurate documents that's been around for 2,000 years. We have 5,000 copies of them, only 50 copies of the writings of Herodias. And every Greek student, man, they can study classical Greek with Herodias all day. That is a fact. What he wrote, what he wrote, what about these other documents that were written about 70 AD, 80 AD, 90 AD, and that we've got 5,000 copies of them left? All kinds of facts. Watch out if you want to disprove it. It's dangerous. It might convert you. Frank Morrison, a devout lawyer, and an atheist and against everything Christianity claims, he began his study of the resurrection just as a lawyer, but the resurrection converted him. And so he wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone? So Christianity can take the fact, investigators. So he says, I give you that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. According to who? So what? Then he says, oh, oh, I thought you would say that. Let me tell you who saw it. Uh, he appeared to Peter, then to the 12, the name of the 12 apostles. Judas is already dead, but that was their formal name. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. A euphemism for death. Then he appeared to James, the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus while he was uh, still alive. He only believed after the resurrection. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one like the aborted child, the untimely born apostle, me, last of all. What's he saying? Corinthians was written about 16 years after these events happened. And here Paul is saying, as a historical fact, I can give you the names of 500 people who witnessed seeing Christ in a resurrected body. That's pretty strong evidence. 500? And, and it's so good. He's not saying 500 people have already died. He said they're still alive. You can look them up. 
Now, 500, if you have five, that's pretty good, but 500? See, he's not basing this argument upon some emotional feeling or, or some, uh, he did so much for me. He, for, it's just a fact, whether I believe it or not. It just stands it. It's a fact. Our faith is built, first of all, on a historical fact that we have eyewitnesses everywhere. Listen, here, I just went through the 12 appearances he made. He appeared to Mary Magdalene, then to the other women. Now, let me say, this was ridiculous, ridiculous reporting for these men to even say the women saw it because the witness of a woman was not permitted in a Jewish court. It's the worst kind of testimony they could cite, but they're just telling the facts. They're not trying to please everybody. These women saw him first, and they reported it to us. Then to Peter, two disciples, ten, Thomas, seven apostles, 500 brothers, James. They're all over the New Testament. It just won't go away. Witnesses all over the place. Listen to what uh, William Craig said. Without the belief in the resurrection, the Christian faith could not have come into being. The disciples would have remained crushed and defeated men. Even had they continued to remember Jesus as their beloved teacher, his crucifixion would have forever silenced any hopes of his being the Messiah. The cross would have remained the sad and shameful end of his career. The origin of Christianity, therefore, hinges on the belief of the early disciples that God had raised Jesus from the dead. Paul goes on to say uh, that, you know what, it's an interesting thing. In Acts, Paul has given his testimonies before a man named Festus, Acts 26. And uh, he said, I'm on trial, His great because he was a Pharisee. He grew up with two Jewish groups, Sadducees, who didn't believe in angels, didn't believe in all the Old Testament, and they did not believe in physical resurrection. Impossible. The Pharisees, of which Paul grew up and was ordained, as it were, a Pharisee, they believed in the resurrection. So when he's about to get his neck cut off for preaching the faith, he appeals to the argument, the resurrection. I'm on trial today for the resurrection of the dead. I say Christ rose. And he's talking to Festus. Festus says, I want to get this guy off my hands. He turns him over to Agrippa, who had reigned over the Palestinian area. And so he begins to tell Agrippa with his Jewish wife, Bernice. He said, Agrippa, when he began to tell him about Christ rose, all of a sudden Agrippa says, stop, stop. Much learning has made you go mad. Paul said, no, Agrippa, I'm not out of my head. Matter of fact, you should know these things, having lived in Palestine, for these things were not done in a corner. You were there. You heard the stories. I'm not making up what I'm saying. See, he's appealing. It just happened. It's just the fact. See, for a man to die without Christ... He's just got to close his eyes to the facts and say, I won't be moved by the facts. And you can do that. That's a philosophical, moral choice you can make. But we're here to say the facts can stand the test of time. Help yourself. We have nothing to hide. He was seen, he was seen, he was seen. And he wasn't seen as a ghost. He was seen in a real physical body. They saw the wounds that he retained. He ate meals with them. Uh, those scenes where they did not seem, they thought he's the gardener, or they didn't recognize him at first. Uh, he just withheld who he was, but in time, they discovered who he was. Well, uh, let's talk about changed lives. Uh, the apostle Paul said, at last he appeared to me. And uh, this is an amazing thing. If you study the life of Paul, uh, a brilliant man, brilliant theologian, philosopher, totally opposed to any claim of Christianity. And the risen Christ meets him on the way to kill Christians and turns his life around so that he's radically changed for the rest of his life. Uh, He says over in verse 30, the reason I wanted you to hear that, 
And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers. Just as surely as I glory over you in Christ, I fought with beasts in Ephesus, and we do not know where this happened. We don't know if there was a literal beast. Uh, what? Uh, but anyway, he says, I'm telling you, meeting Christ was not a life-fulfilling encounter. Matter of fact, my life's been in danger ever since I met him. You got to know that Christ isn't for convenience sake. He just really is who he said, and it could cost you your life. Paul knew that from the beginning. It's costly to claim Christ. It's going to cost me my life. And matter of fact, when I ministered, wherever I go, and he's telling about fighting with beasts in Ephesus, and why not literal beasts? What was the beast? Usually lions. And where they put Christians in animal skins, put them in a coliseum, unleash hungry lions, and let the lions devour them in front of a cheering crowd. Down with them, down with them, down with them. Make a trip to Rome today. Go visit the Colosseum. And when you get there, you know what's in the middle of the Colosseum? A cross. The cross outlasted the emperors of Rome and outlasted the Roman Empire that lasted for a thousand years. For this is one movement that will never end. It will never end. It goes right into eternity. It goes right into eternity. Now, the life of Paul has changed. I, I think of Peter. Uh, I, I'm amazed that Christ had anything to do with Peter. He was the world's greatest flop that made good. He, he bragged that he would not deny the Lord. But now, I want you to go back to that scene. Uh, how would you have held up? Um, he's arrested in front of you. There's the soldiers, and you follow him down to Pilate's court. You're hanging out in the uh, courtyard, and the little woman says, you know him. You know him. No, I don't. I don't know this man. I think you know him. You even sound like him. Yeah, you, I, I don't know him. Third time, and he hears the rooster crow, like Christ said, to signal, I told you you would deny me three times. Let me ask you, have you ever denied him? Oh, yeah. At least I sure went quiet that I knew anything about him. Uh, I, I can understand Peter. I'm as big a coward as him, and I think you are too. When you think your life is on the line and you're seeing the one you're following getting ready to be killed and already bleeding from the beatings and the thorns and the spit and the unfair trials, six of them he went through, three Gentile, three Jewish. Come on, you want to claim him then? No, he bailed out. I don't blame him on a human level. I would have bailed too. I'm that big a coward. If I can save my neck by telling a lie, why not? Sounds good to me. A lie for my life. Have you ever lied? No, don't raise your hand. That's okay. You've lied for a lot less. A lot less. Just get out of a whipping, you know, a spanking. How can I say that word? It's appropriate. A correction. Don't turn me in to child custody. Uh, I always say I was raised pre-Spock. Uh, well, I've lied about a lot of things. I, I'm sure I would have lied. When I read that narrative now, every failure in the narrative is me. It's you. The disciples all fled, not just Peter. They all fled. Where are you when I need you? You've been telling me how much you love me, and I've been telling you how much I love. I just got you washing your feet, but we're all failures. We're, we'll save our own hide, even if we have to deny the greatest person in history, Christ. But what does God do? After the resurrection, he looks Peter up, and we see a beautiful interview of him in John 21, where he's saying, do you love me? Lord, I'm afraid to make that boast again. Uh, I, I think I love you. Uh, I want to love you. You got to help me to love you. And the Lord says, I'm going to use you again. 
And he's the man that gets to preach in the city where Christ was crucified, the most dangerous geographical place in the world to claim Christ is alive. And Peter preaches with a boldness he never had before. I must say to you, to all of our critics, to all those who don't buy Christianity, that it's, it's going away, it's made up, it's whatever. It's not intellectually feasible, defensible. Um, you ought to just read the biography of the early martyrs and check out the death of Peter. It's a moving thing when it came time to kill Peter. The only request he made, because they thought they would mock his Savior by crucifying him, he said, you claim a crucified Christ, we're going to crucify you. Peter said, that's fine with me. Just do me one favor. Turn the cross upside down because I'm not worthy to be upright. Crucify me with my head towards the ground. I'm not worthy of this man. They say the early martyrs, one of the common things they did when they built the fires to kill them, they would come up to the stake and they would kiss it. And they'd say, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're giving me the privilege of dying for you, the one who died for me. See, true Christianity can so grip your heart that even a coward can stand up for this Christ. The facts remain. He's alive. I've seen a living Christ that Pilate can't get rid of, Herod can't get rid of, Festus can't get rid of, Agrippa can't get rid of. It's the facts of our faith. The facts. Lives have been changed. And then I think what we would say finally, is the remarkable history of the church. You know what? uh, You you may think the church is kind of half dead because you live in the Bay Area. This is boogie town. Everybody likes to party in the Bay Area. This is not the Bible Belt. Liberalism, anti-God attitudes abound in our area. But I'll tell you what else abounds. Killing, crime, divorce, drugs, Uh, uh, children born out of wedlock. We're going to hell in a basket in the Bay Area. That's why we need the church here. We're trying to rescue people and show them Christ. But you ought to visit sometime. If you ever could work it in your budget. I went on a trip to visit some of our missionaries. uh, And when I landed, uh, we were going to Indonesia and Malaysia. And when we got into Indonesia, a pastor met me. And uh, Alton Fox, I was traveling with, and uh, we met this uh, pastor, and, and I'm thinking, you know, I've got a master's degree. I'm pastoring a huge church at that time of 300 people. <laughs> uh, I, I, maybe I can give you some tips. How's your work doing? Well, God's blessing. Yeah. Uh, anyone coming? Oh, we have thousands on Sunday. Thousands. This is a Muslim country. I said we have thousands. Well, what else? He said we have 15 churches that keep going out into the bush away from our church. So we have thousands that show up. We have to tell them not to come on Sunday and stagger their attendance so we can accommodate all these people. I just uh, got a... uh, went on the web and saw this church that I may get to visit in the future in another country. And I go up on the web there, Donna brings it up, 14,000 believers jumping out of their skin, Chinese believers, that many of their ancestors paid with their own dear blood just to get out of China or went underground. You can't snuff it out, Stalin. You can't snuff it out, dictators. You can't get rid of it, Caesar. You can't get rid of it. It will outlast the sun. It's based upon Christ. Based upon Christ. So here's his debate right here. If philosophically we want to debate, if Christ has not been raised, nobody's going to be raised. So they hang together. But what he says down in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, empty. You are still in your sins. Wow. But, wait, what if he was raised? 
that means I'm not in my sins. Is that right? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile or empty of no purpose. You are still in your sins. But since he was raised, my faith is not futile and I'm not in my sins. So what happened on Friday, Christ laid down his life. He paid the ransom. And three days later, God kicked open the tomb to say the debt was paid, the check cleared heaven, and the empty tomb is God's amen to Christ saying, it is finished. It is paid in full. That's what the empty tomb is. Uh, I don't know about some of you. Uh, have you seen these people that keep a receipt on everything? Uh, some of you, you know, uh, if you got a, a done from some person you owed, and you said, no, no, I paid that. I paid that. said, you have a receipt. Said, well, no, but I know I did it. Some of you, you just look at there. I've got the receipt. It's on record. The empty tomb is the receipt that has been paid in full. It's the receipt paid in full. You must know that. So why do we believe this stuff? Well, just historically, I did not put faith in Christ for years, but I knew the facts were there. There's an empty tomb. And just think of this. Rome and the Jewish Sanhedrin could have ended this whole thing from getting out of Jerusalem by 34 AD if they would have just produced the body. That's all you got to do. We can end the lies, end the myth, but show me in history anyone that has produced the body, even the bones. Come on. Come on. You can't hide it that good. Nobody, nobody has ever. We know where Mohammed was buried. We know where Confucius was buried. We know where other religious founders. But you know what? We go and we celebrate at their grave with us, with Christ. He told Thomas, you have believed because you saw. How blessed are those who will believe who never saw. I believe a lot of things I've never seen. I really believe I came from human beings. I know that's a leap of faith, but I believe that. I didn't come from just anything. A lot of things happen, but I love history. Some of you see the existential movement that started with drugs in the 60s and 70s said, the only thing you can believe is what you're experiencing now. And they cut us off from history, just get high, get loaded, and hope Vietnam will go away. Well, friend, it's still there, no, much how, no matter how, how much LSD they took, it was still there, and boys were still coming back in body bags. You can blow your mind, but you can't change history, and you can't change where we're going. See, we're not on a high. We're just believing the facts, and philosophically, we know Christ changes your life. Let me tell you something wonderful, how Easter changes the grave. I'm getting ready to bury an aunt. My, my dad was one of 10 children, and the 10th the child finally went home at 88. We'll do her funeral this Tuesday. But a pastor was driving his two girls to the church where his wife was to be buried, and he uh, decided to preach the funeral. And on the way to the funeral, the girls were little. They came to a stop sign. And all of a sudden, and he was all the way there. He's thinking, how can I explain to these children that mama passed away and that mama's okay? And was trying to get into a child's world. They were about seven or eight, I understand, about in that age category. And he got there, and while they're at the stop sign, all of a sudden, a truck went by. And the shadow came over the car, and all of a sudden, Donald Gray Barnhouse, he said to his girls, what would you rather pass over us, the shadow or the truck? And one of the little girls said, why, Daddy, of course, the shadow. He said, well, let me tell you, honey, the truck hit Jesus so that only the shadow has passed over your mother. And we're just going to go celebrate the shadow 
And the shepherd walked with your mama through the shadows, but Jesus really bore the truck. He paid everything necessary to get mama into heaven and to keep the truck from hitting her. And so the resurrection of Christ and Christianity has been the most glorious thing ever happened for doing funerals by. I came to Christ through the death of a grandfather because I knew I was lost. And now I never knew God would have me do so many funerals of which I'm no longer afraid because Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave. This is our faith. We're going to sing a song to you called Come Running to the Mercy Seat. And the mercy seat used to be the Ark of the Covenant where they covered it with blood once a year. But now, according to 1 John, Jesus has become our mercy seat, and he's in the third heaven, and he covers for our sins. He's the only one that can cover your sins. And this song says, come running, come running, and the mercy seat is Christ. We want you to come running. If you don't know Christ, run to him by faith, and your sins will be forgiven. And believe me, he's a living Savior that's already paid your debt. Only receiving, receiving by faith.
you're on the throne, on the throne of mercy, the mercy seat. We want to let you know today that if today is your first day here, your first time visiting us, we want you to run to the mercy seat. We have uh, counselors, come on forward. All the counselors, please come forward. Um, I was a prodigal once, and I thought that my God had forgotten my name, and I ran from him. And I thought I could run as far away as I could, but your God hasn't forgotten your name. He hasn't forgotten my name. Your name is written on the palm of his hand. If you're a prodigal son or daughter today, your Jesus, your Savior, is calling your name. And he wants you to run, run to that mercy seat. I want you to take a look at the people up here. It's kind of like a family reunion. We don't always know everybody's name. I went to a G family reunion, 60 or 80 people there. They'd never met me before, and I walked up, and I said, what's on the barbecue? I'm your family. That's what these people are up here, your brothers and sisters. If you're a prodigal and you've been away from the Lord, if you've been running from him, I want you to look at the people up here because they're going to meet you out in the lobby. Take a look at them. Meet them out in the lobby. Search them out. Come running to the mercy seat. And no matter where you are or where you've been, they'll pray with you. And they'll seek that mercy that you so desperately need in your life. Amen. We want to give you a chance when you're at church to make a decision for the Lord. And Easter Sunday is a wonderful day to do that. Counselors, you can go ahead and go to the back and... um, If anybody wants, we just don't want you to be under any pressure or compulsion. If you want to talk to anybody back there, if you want somebody to pray with you, they'll be right back there waiting for you. We want to go ahead and move into what we um, do as our traditional um, shout of Easter. And so we're going to kind of switch gears here. We can go ahead and bring the lights up in the house some. We'd like for the ushers to open all the doors. And we'd like to open up these doors because we'd like to think that as we shout, He is alive that we're going to shout it to all of Hercules, okay? Because it is the good news of Jesus Christ. And he said to proclaim it to all the nations. And so we're going to do all we can to proclaim it right here, right here. So this section, you're going to say he, we're going to say is alive. Okay, we're going to do this three times. So why don't you go ahead and get to your feet. Just like a ball game, they don't get to have all the fun. We're in church. It's a blast to be in church. We got the greatest news there is. All right, so here we go. Are you ready? Three people. Are you ready? Yes. Hey, come on. Is alive. Hey, is alive. Hey, is alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For all the earth had trembled. The sun had hid its face, and all the men that walked with him had turned and run away. They crucified our Savior and laid him in a tomb. That life that once brought love and hope slipped away that afternoon. Satan gleamed with pleasure that day at Calvary, for he thought he had won a mighty victory, and like him, all of the demons of hell began to cheat, oh, but little did they know that their
Stop by Community Connections for your gift, okay? Right back there in the lobby. Thank you.